Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, and welcome to Historically Speaking. This is a fun show with my friend Susan G. Mathis. She is the vice president of the Christian Authors Network. And I'm the president of the Christian Authors Network. So this is kind of a fun, unique opportunity for me to interview somebody that I work with, but I admire greatly, on genealogy and why she wrote The Fabric of Hope, an Irish Family Legacy. Susan has other books that you can find at susangmathis.com. And, you know, we may have a little bit of fun with some genealogy tips that come in here because she is very Irish, right even down to the T. Welcome, Susan. Uh, thank you, G- Angie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a little bit of Irish in me, too. I did the uh, Ancestry.com DNA test. Have you done any of the DNA testing? I didn't, no. Uh-huh. But I'm Irish way down to the bones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's something you can feel, that DNA in there. <laughs> I grew up I grew up in a very Irish home. Um, my... I went to St. Pat's Church. I went to St. Pat's School. My um, my second cousin was second advisor to the Pope. Wow. <laughs> um, wrote a book on the Vatican. Um, so, yeah, I grew up very, very Irish. The biggest holiday of the year was St. Patrick's Day. Wow. Our- yeah. I remember um, that you, and I still have it, you sent me a green scarf. For St. Patrick's Day. I did. And I have it. I kept that. I thought that was so delightful and fun. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yep. what is it that you think was so very unique and different in your Irish family legacy? Everything. <laughs> well, you're going to well, have to expand, my dear. <laughs> exactly. Well, one side of the family was 100% Irish. My mom's family was 100% Irish. Um, they were the Grahams and the O'Neills and then the Hawkins, which um, you're the you're the reason that I wrote The Fabric of Hope. Uh, you didn't know that till about an hour ago. I didn't, <laughs> and I'm just so amazed and blessed. <laughs> Um, for the listeners, Angie was, uh, had just published her, um, book on the quilt. Um, and we, yes. What's it, what was the name of it? A healing heart. A healing heart. Yeah. It was great story. And we went to see her, my husband and I went to a bookstore to, uh, see her. We, I had been acquaintance with her and, uh, listened to her story and stuff. And we left that evening and I said, you know, Dale, I could write, I could write that story. And I told him the whole plot of the fabric of hope and just jokingly. And he said, we'll write it. And I'm like, yeah, uh uh-huh. I don't think so. I, um, I will never write fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Say never. (laughs) Um, I had always written nonfiction. And, uh, so I, 
proceeded to start writing fiction. Um, I, I started researching it a little more. My cousin was working on the, the Graham genealogy mm -hmm. that bled into the O'Neill genealogy up through grandma. <laughs> and, um, and so she had all that data. And then on the other side, um, the, uh, father, the mother side, um, there were the Hawkins, but they didn't know a whole lot about that. So I started researching the Hawkins side. And before that, they had, they had thought that everybody came through Ellis Island. My mother thought that until a few years ago when I started writing this book, but it That's wasn't like the go-to place, but exactly. my family didn't come through there either. Yeah. It, yeah. It's not as simple as that. Um, my family came through the St. Lawrence river and actually settled in Canada and I would have been Canadian. Have that's, so that is really interesting because that's another thing we have in common. I, I have two different lines on both my mother's side and my father's side during the American revolution that split and, mm -hmm. um, the spears went to Canada and on my dad's side, there was one branch, one brother of the Bigelows that went to Canada and there's a, you know, there's a homestead up there that still exists. And yeah. so, yeah, I could have been Canadian too. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. Yes. So it's just fun to learn about all those things. And so as I was writing this book, I went over to Ireland and I visited all the places. Oh, I'm so jealous. Where, where they were, where each branch of the family um, was and experienced the culture and the food and the people and the setting. And it really helped me to, to do such a better job with writing. What was it like being there? Did you actually go to any grave sites or homesteads, uh, any houses that you know they lived in? Yeah, um, I didn't. Um, they were, I couldn't find those at that mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had, I had done the research and, but, um, I got as close as Hilltown, which is one of the settings in, in the book. Mm. Um, but I couldn't find that road where their homestead was. So, um, yeah, and I did. It's been hundreds of years or how long has it been? Um, it was 1850s mm -hmm. yes. during the potato famine. Um, all three branches of the families came during the potato famine, good Irish. <laughs> so, uh, and that was interesting to research all of that, to read books about it, to, um, to watch movies about it, to experience and really immerse myself in what it was like for those poor people mm. to watch, to, first of all, to be, um, so segregated as Catholics. Um, I mean, the Caulfield fa family in our family tree um, back in the Hawkins, she, that was the paternal side of um, the main character, Margaret Hawkins. Mm -hmm. Her family owned thousands and thousands of acres. They were a very wealthy family. But because they, really? be, because they were Catholic, they had all that stripped from them and ended up with nothing. Did you find that area? Um, we did. That I was. We were all around that area. Okay. Yeah. So, how did that make you just spiritually, emotionally feel? Yeah. Did yeah. You, I just have this sense of the the loss. Oh yeah, it was terrible, you know. And I had to really 
pray about that because I was angry that 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 actually happened to my blood family, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But uh, on the other hand, it helps me to understand um, apartheid. My kids live in South Africa and and what they must feel like about the blacks and what they must have felt like about all of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It really gave me um, some empathy for people who have unfairly had things happen to them. Yeah. And then I think about the fact that because we are such a fallen race, human race, that this has happened over and over over and over and over. It's, this is the story oldest time. It is. It It is. The sin that is within humanity. Yeah. That they would take from another like this. Right. Exactly. So, um, so all those different things that I learned while researching for this book. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of the story is, uh, is my personal story. Um, the fabric of hope is about an 1850s Irish immigrant Mm -hmm. and a 21st century single mom who are connected by faith, family, and a quilt. Well, true story. My ex actually, when he left, he took my family quilt. Oh my gosh. My Irish family quilt that Margaret Hawkins started to sew back in Ireland and brought over on the boat with her. Um, He took that and he pawned it. Um, So it was also writing that story as well, because that was the last piece of Ireland that my family had. And they entrusted it to me. And it was very difficult for me to even tell my mother that it was gone because it was tucked safely in my hope chest. And he, you know, I didn't think he ever went in there. (laughs) You know, why would he, why would, you know, I know someone else who, who stole quilts and stole things like that too. And, um, to this day, nobody can figure out why. Yeah. Right. Except for that it was intended to cause harm. And there we go right back to that broken human condition. Exactly. So, oh my gosh. So do we do we give away anything in the story if I ask if you got that quilt back because my heart is just pitter patting? No. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't give it away. <laughs> okay. You're not going to tell us. Okay. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> ah! <laughs> so people, we have to read The Fabric of Hope, an Irish family legacy to find out if this 21st century woman got her her piece of heritage back yeah and what that means to that family oh my goodness okay so keep going tell us more about your discoveries in Ireland and and about yourself wow uh just being there was incredible um because I could when I went back to my manuscript I had already written the first draft of it went to Ireland Um, and toured the whole island. We started in Dublin, and we went the whole island Mm. um, and experienced that culture and the people and the smells and the the sights and the hills and the dales and the sheep and all of that. I went back to my manuscript and really enhanced it by experiencing it, and that was so much fun. I think that's one of the most important things of being able to go and experience our history like that. And it's I 
I want to go do that with Ireland, but not yet. I'm 12.5% Irish, according to my DNA test. Who knows? <laughs> and then, but I am over half Scottish. Yeah. And so that's my next plan to do exactly what you did so I can mm. enhance my stories, enrich my, my knowledge, feel yeah. it. What did you prepare for? How did you prepare to take this trip to Ireland? I think well, this is a good genealogy tip right here. Sure. You know, I, I am ridiculous when I go on trips because <laughs> I research, if I go on a cruise, I research, um, you know, every. I do that too. <laughs> maybe it's the writer in us. I don't know. Or maybe it's the genealogist in us. <laughs> my my husband just rolls his eyes, you know, because I walk around, you know, like we were in San Juan, Puerto Rico, which mm -hmm. I'm so glad we went because it's such a mess now. Yeah, but we, we actually have been there twice and adored San Juan, Puerto Rico. Yeah, I know. But I, I mean, I had all the facts and figures and I just give him a self self guided tour. <laughs> I could be a tour guide any place I've been because I just so prepare. So when I went to Ireland, oh my goodness, I I read so much. I every place I researched, every stop that we were making, um, especially where you know, around Hilltown, where um, and that was in Northern Ireland is where they came out of. So they Hilltown, H I L L. Yes, and there's nothing there. I mean, it's like there's not even a light there. <laughs> it's just really? a little tiny itty-bitty town about an hour north of Dublin. And um, is that where the big uh, thousands of acres of land was? Is that area? A little east, a little west of that. Was yeah. there a castle involved? Every American wants to know. Yeah, no, there must have been, but I couldn't find that. I have um, a friend who they they own a really small percentage of a castle, um, oh, and they've, they've never been there. You know, they they just they own it because of the family inheritance kind of thing. Yeah, they don't so they don't know what to do with it. They just own it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, during that time with when the Catholics were really being persecuted by the Protestants. Um, they did burn a lot of the information. They oh. destroyed. They destroyed buildings. They destroyed documents, birth certificates. I mean, that, that's why it's hard to trace back if the uh, in the Catholic heritage a lot oh. of Irish stuff. So I yeah. was talking to. I'm actually hiring a Scottish genealogist. Wow! And, um, because even though I'm studying genealogy. I don't feel like I know enough, and I don't have access to some of these records in time because I want to go, and I'm only going to be there for you know a short time. Right. And I'm going to spend a lot of time doing research, but I want to know where the homesteads and the farms were and things like this. So here's my genealogy tip that comes out of it. If you are descended from Scottish farmers, you are super, super lucky because... Mm -hmm. Um, the Scottish genealogist I'm hiring, her name is Alison, A-L-I-S-O-N, Farrar. And she lives in Ayrshire, which is where I believe my family comes from, at least part of it. And mm -hmm. she said that because my family 
were likely farmers. They would have been farmers for hundreds of years. And mm -hmm. in Scotland, those are the records that were not destroyed. Ah. And what she meant by that, she explained further, if they owned a farm, if they rented a farm, if they were a hired hand on a farm, there are still a majority of those records still exist going back up to 400 years. Nice. And maybe more. And nice. that is a surprising genealogy tip that I did not know, and I'm very grateful to her, you know, <laughs> for telling me that, because now I feel like maybe I have a chance of standing on the ground where my ancestors stood. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's kind of the reason why I was asking you, but in yeah. Ireland, evidently, a lot of that stuff was burned, it's so it makes it even harder. Right. Oh, right. Keep telling us your story. When, one of the fun things on the trip was that in Dublin, there's a famine ship that you can go to. A what? Or a famine ship. Famine? Yeah. Like, uh, like I'm hungry famine? Yes. Yes. Similar to what the uh, potato famine uh, Irish when they when they um, went immigrated to England to uh, sorry <laughs> start again <laughs> when they when they immigrated to the states or to Canada mm -hmm. they would take a ship um, and it was generally a it was they called them famine ships because so many people were in the midst of famine at the time a lot of them died on the ship. In the sh during the voyage because they were so malnutrition malnutrition oh, oh, and um, yeah and so um, we went on this tour of the famine ship and it was that really helped me to build my story the the passage and the journey mm -hmm. on the famine ship to be able to see and to experience how small and how congested and how tough it was. So, is it just in dock, or do they actually take you out into the water on no, this tour? Just in dock, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Kind of like the Queen Mary in, right. uh, you know, in Long Beach. It's in dock, and they don't go anywhere. But you can go on, yeah. you can tour it, you can stay, experience it. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. So all those kind of things when you're when you're really learning and thinking through what what it was like to get on a ship with nothing. Mm -hmm. And to spend four or five, six weeks at sea with people you don't know and people that are dying and people that are dead and mm -hmm. storms and what does that look like? And they don't know anything about where they're going. And, oh, gee, gives me the willies. <laughs> no kidding. And it's, to be stuck in there is like uh, I had an interview recently with another writer who um, is in the Captive Brides collection with me. Mm -hmm. And she was, her story was about a woman who was escaping slavery by being put in a coffin. And, mm. and it was like, here you are facing your biggest fear that you're going to die in slavery. And yet the possible escape from it is being right. put in a coffin that right. mimics that sense of death and I think being put into they I know some of the ships were called you know coffin ships too mm -hmm. coming over to America and things like this because of the amount right. of death and the that were done and right. that that happened and I know you know in in Scotland uh, my my family 
may have come over and become indentured servants, which is why I wrote His Indentured Bride for the Captive Brides collection. And as they came over, I found two men's names, Thomas Nelson Jr. and Thomas Nelson Sr., on the same ship. And I put the book back, not knowing what I had found, thinking I had the wrong people because I thought the wrong it might be the wrong year. And then a couple of years later, found out it might have been the right people in the right year. But mm -hmm. that library is way over in Pennsylvania. And I'm in Montana. And I can't tell somebody which book it is. I just know where it is. And so now I have to go back to Pennsylvania to pick up that book. <laughs> but it also showed that those two people may have become indentured servants. And that was where the idea of this story came from because I thought I was on the wrong track and it turns out I might have been on the right track and that they would indenture themselves because they were too poor to come over and then they would serve as an indentured servant and at the end they're supposed to be given some clothing, some food, sometimes as much as a year's worth uh, including seed and some land sometimes, it depended on the contract. But in in many cases they were considered lower than slaves slaves yes mm -hmm. because slaves could be kept for a lifetime so you got a lifetime out of work for them so uh, indentured servants they were they were given the dangerous jobs because they didn't the slave owner didn't want to lose the lifetime work of a slave right and so things like that studying those things really shocked me and kind of blew my mind because those are things that are not talked about because they're not quote unquote politically correct Right. And yet, the truth is, more indentured servants died and were just, you know, not really recorded and not mm -hmm. really talked about. And yet, the records exist that these things happened. Mm -hmm. And they, it's forgotten in today's history with the way our political climate has gone. Right. right. And so, to me, writing this story, his indentured servant, was a way of not only preserving some of our own U.S. history that's getting lost, but also helping me to explore that idea and that concept and how yep. would that have worked and what would have happened. And, oh, my goodness, you know, it just got fascinating to me to think yeah. about what these people gave up and what they went through to mm -hmm. come to America to give us the opportunity to be free. It really helps us to uh, gain a respect for our ancestors mm -hmm. to understand what the sacrifice they made um, it helps us to humble ourselves in the um, the beauty that we live in you know the, mm -hmm. the ease we live in and that's a that's the thing that just kills me about history today rewriting history and writing it just for the convenience of political correctness I uh, I wrote a feature story for Focus on the Family, I don't know, 15 years ago, about uh, revisionist history and how dangerous that is. And I just see it in today's world, how we're rewriting history all the time. The media is and mm -hmm. popular culture and stuff. And it's dangerous because we'll lose that very thing you're talking about, the the heritage that and the understanding and the... All of that that makes us who we are, and if we don't, if we don't use it, we'll lose it. If we don't learn from it, we'll repeat it. Exactly. And, 
And exactly. It's yeah. I'm curious, did, did any of your, what happened to your real people when they mm -hmm. came over to the United States? Did they, were they indentured servants? Were, did they um, have real struggles from being super, super poor, dealing with famine, trying to deal with, I know in the uh, 1840s, 50s, 60s, there was a huge outcry against the Irish and against yes. particularly Catholic Irish. Definitely. You know, what, what happened to your family when they got uh, here? We're very fortunate because the Hawkins side, um, who the story is about, um, they had an uncle, his name was John, mm -hmm. on Wolf Island, Canada, which was one of the Thousand Islands that's wow. between um, Ontario, Canada, and New York. That's where I grew up. I grew up 17 miles from the Canadian border. Wow. I grew up right there. My next, my se the series I'm working on now is called the Thousand Island Summer Series. Oh, I love that. And it's Yay. kind of a Downton Abbey meets the Thousand Islands, you know. And so <laughs> I, I write stories on each island. Um, and so I'm almost done with the first book. Uh, chapter 24. Yay. <laughs> yeah, I have to tell you, um, the one I'm working on right now is... Ironically, the sequel to A Healing Heart. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I know, and it's going to be in a collection with Robin Lee Hatcher, uh, Vicki McDonough, and um, Deborah Rainey. And, nice. Yeah, and it'll come out in February of 2018. But what was mm -hmm. exciting about what you said about A Healing Heart, you know, inspiring you was you gave me more confidence to tackle the sequel, you know? Nice. Good. Because you liked it and it inspired you, and it's like that Sally Fields, and you like me. <laughs> awesome. Well, so, good. <laughs> I'm glad. So tell us more about your people uh, in America. Yeah. So they so they ended up on Wolf Island, Canada, um, which is the largest island there. But you seriously, six to eight months out of the year, they are stranded on that island because the ice forms over um, some because of the currents in the river um, they don't freeze over enough to be able to take uh, transportation back and forth wow. so um, they actually hunker down so when I was writing this book um, I did the research on Wolf Island and then I went up to see my mom and she and I went to Wolf Island and we went I didn't we couldn't find anybody um, online and stuff mm -hmm. that were there. But we went, uh, and I tell the story. It's one of the chapters in the book. Mm -hmm. um, we go there. I go, There's one general store. There's only 1,200 people that live on the whole island, mm -hmm. even today. So uh, I go to the general store, and I said, um, I, I'm looking for maybe um, our ancestors were um, um, the hot. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like going, um, um, um. <laughs> exactly. <She's, laughs> so she says, oh, which ones? Mike or Joe or or, or Sam? Or, oh, and I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> she pulls out this teeny little 
micro, uh, this little book that wasn't even official of phone numbers. She said, here are the numbers, give them a call. And so I did the first two. I didn't get the third one. I did. They said, oh, we're here. Come on up. So we went up to Hawkins Hill, which is where they uh, ended up and talked to big old burly farmer, uh, Mike Hawkins. And he said, oh, I don't know much about our ancestry, but Mildred, who is 80 years old, she knows everything about everything. She was born and raised here. So she sent us over to see Mildred and we, we went there and she told us all kinds of stuff. And then she sent us to where the homestead was. Oh my goodness. It was the coolest thing. <laughs> Do you have pictures of that? Um, the homestead was had burned down years before. But, but did the, you take pictures of Wolf Island at all? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we need one good representative one for sure. the show notes. Sure. <laughs> 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 and uh, we, so it was just a magical time that Mom and I got to share together. Wow. And uh, so when... This summer, when I was having a book signing in Alex Bay, New York, which is right across from uh, Wolf Island, um, the captain of the ferry actually came, and he loved the book. He took I had him take one over to Matt, to Mildred, and uh, he's Facebook. We became Facebook friends, and he's he just says, "Oh, Mildred was so blessed by that." So. Wow. So we've had lots of fun, and in that process, I met the president of the Thousand Islands Association Historical Association. Mm -hmm. So she is one. She is my um, historical editor for um, this next series I'm working on. So. I am so excited about that. When you have that ready to come out, I would like to have you back on because that oh, would sure. be so much fun. Can yeah. you um, tell me where in well, not did you? You were not raised right on Wolf Island. Where? What island of the Thousand Islands were you raised on? I wasn't on an island. I was on the mainland. I was a mainland girl. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was in Watertown, New York. You land lover. <laughs> but I always was enamored with the islands. Um, mm. I've stayed on five of the islands and different cottages or hotel um there it is an incredible place where um the in 1872 uh pullman of pullman railroad car fame mm -hmm. he had he bought an island and he was friends with president grant during in the 1872 re-election campaign really? and he invited him and share uh general sheridan and uh, another general to come and stay on the island and so Pullman being the entrepreneur he was, he made it a, he made, he got the 200 um, editors and journalists and he together to tout the islands. He made a incredible uh, campaign as far as growing those islands, selling out, selling islands to the rich and famous. And it became um, the Downton Abbey's of, 1870, the 1870s up until the Great Depression, there's castles and huge mansions that wow. people that, that people came up from New York City and Chicago and around 
um, and bought up these for summer home, uh, built summer homes. Wow. There's a castle there called Bolt Castle that um, the Bolt, um, he was one of the hotel owners in New York City, built that for his wife, and his wife died before it was fully built. Oh, my um, gosh, that would be so heartbreaking. Yeah, um, but it was it's a it's a working it's a castle that you can actually get married in stay at um tour there's it's a huge tourist industry there Um, and see how they lived it's incredible if you wouldn't mind sending us a link for that to the show notes too that'd be really cool yeah so much fun you know they don't it's a it's a secret. It's everybody should see the Thousand Islands. It's an incredibly beautiful place in the summertime, not the wintertime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I hear you looking out at snow falling here, and I have to go into town this evening, and I'm looking at the snow on the roads, going, I haven't put my snow tires on yet. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I have okay. a I have a uh, love hate relationship with snow and ice. <laughs> I have just been so delighted to have you on today. If you could share anything that you wanted to, um, to wrap up your family story and with, with listeners, what would it be? Um, don't discount the, the history that is in your families because it's a beautiful thing. And once you dig into it, um, you, you really learn a lot about yourself, about mm-hmm. how you grew up in ways that you never know, like you spoke of with your Swedish history. It's, um, there were so many things as I was researching this that I didn't know was part of the Irish culture, you know, <laughs> that, <laughs> that was just a normal life for us. Meat, potatoes, veggies. Okay. That's Irish, you know, <laughs> not everybody eats that way, <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, all kinds of stuff. We always had potatoes with everything, even spaghetti. <laughs> wow. That oh, is yeah. very unique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't carry that over in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Smart woman. <laughs> you are so delightful, though, to have on as an interview. And oh, I really hope that when this next series is ready to come out, that uh, you'll let me know so that we can share that because I think people who have history in the Thousand Islands would love to know more about it. And how can people find you online? Um, On anything Susan G. Mathis. (laughs) So (laughs) Susan G. Mathis.com, Susan G. Mathis on Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest. I have a blog that I feature authors who are coming on soon. That's also on my website, SusanGMathis.com, on Goodreads, Google+, and on our CAN website. <laughs> and CAN is the Christian Authors Network, and uh, Susan is the vice president, and I'm the president. And we would be delighted for you to visit the Christian Authors Network to not only find great books by really good authors that are professionals in the industry, they have great Uh, stories but they also have great nonfiction and they also have the opportunity to speak for you if you need a speaker for any Mm -hmm. of your events Um, these people do their research and know their stuff and it's a really wonderful opportunity to get to know some not only great writers and great speakers but doggone nice people (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so thank you so much, Susan, for being with me today. This is Angela Breidenbach. You've been listening to Historically Speaking, and you can find me online at AngelaBreidenbach.com or on any social media at Ange Breidenbach. We'll see you next time on Historically Speaking. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.